Hey everyone, welcome back to The Potter's House, the podcast where we discuss how biblical topics, church life, and current events impact our everyday lives. I'm your host, Marcus Ionescu, and today we're joined by a very special guest, Jonathan Anthemia. Jonathan, how's it going, man? It's going good, Marcus. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for you know agreeing to be on here. Um, I know it's the times are di- weird right now, the times are difficult, but I uh, praise God that we're able to you know convene together, come together, and talk about a, a topic today. Absolutely. And um, I, I mentioned to the I mentioned this to you off air um, when I initially thought of the idea of starting a podcast. My initial thoughts were to circle through my friends. Uh, just because I was going to have a guest per episode. And then I started expanding a little bit for people outside the greater LA area. And I made a mental list of about five different people. And uh, as a matter of fact, you were one of those five people that I thought of. How on earth could you come to that conclusion? <laughs> and it's funny because you told me when we when we met up today that like, oh, I, I'm so honored uh, that you thought of me, this and that. And I'm thinking, I'm like, dude, I thought of you from the beginning, man. Oh, dude. Well, hopefully it's not a crash and burn scenario today. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see because we're we're uh, juggling some hot topics today, and uh, it's it's one of the first episodes that um, we're really going to get into some biblical stuff, some stuff that we may agree on, some stuff we may disagree on, some stuff that listeners may disagree on, which I mm-hmm. think is great. Um, when you sent me your notes the other day, um, I remember looking at it and I was, I was tripping out, man. I was like, oh, this, this, this stuff is good. Let me refresh my memory on some of these topics because, um, you know, we're really going to need to know, uh, once we go forward. But before we kick things off, before we start, um, going into our topic, why don't you give us, uh, just a brief inter- introduction about yourself? Absolutely. Uh, so I'm Jonathan Antemy. Um, I'm an American Romanian youth, uh, born in the United States, the immigrant parents, uh, I'm from Seattle, and the church over there where my father, um, coincidentally, I had no choice in who my father was, is the pastor (laughs) of the larger gathering there. Uh, I'm an RN by by trade, but like every good Romanian boy, I have worked construction ceaselessly since I could lift a five-gallon bucket. (laughs) And how old were you at that point when you could lift a five-gallon bucket? I I could lift it pretty early in life, so (laughs) let's just say I might have a herniated disc by like 45. We'll figure it out. (laughs) So... I want to address a rumor before we get started. So there's word going around that before you became an RN, mm-hmm. that you were a botanist. Is this true? A botanist? Oh my goodness! Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. I uh, I had a previous degree in biology okay. uh, with uh, a personal passion for botany and uh, plants and all things that I could see on my hikes. But I was never in any way, shape, or form a qualified botanist able to give any sort of wisdom upon the topic. So we weren't too far off track, right? At least you had that bio degree with a passion in botany. Mm-hmm. Um, I just always saw you as a guy with like, you know, you're just going on a hike and you just grab a piece of dirt in your hand and just like talk about it. You know, I just, I just always <laughs> pictured you as that type of person. And I, I don't know, I heard from someone botanist, but it's uh, not you know, far off. Yeah, Marcus. we weren't too far off. That's <laughs> it's good. not too far off. Every hike, there is a plethora of things that I just point out and talk to myself verbally, not in my head <laughs> about the qualities or something I know about it. So it's, you know, it's a way to brighten up my hikes, you know. And spoiler alert, uh, today we will not be talking about botany, if that's what you guys assumed. If you thought it was that creative to introduce the topic in such a way and kind of transition. But um, it was just a fun fact that we were just addressing just to get things started. So um, today, is, today is an interesting episode. Like I said, when I first saw the notes, I was you know tripping out a little bit and I wanted to make sure that I had ample research, making sure that I know what I was talking about and I was prepared to 
respond to anything that Jonathan's going to provide us today. So um, just for the sake of clarity and simplicity, would you like to introduce the topic we're going to talk about today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've been a believer for about 12 years now. And as with every believer's uh, growth and evolution and thought and just maturity and perceptions, there's, there's always things that you start off with that you start thinking about more deeply later on. And uh, one of the things that I've been thinking about And for the last three years, maybe a little bit more lightly in terms of just kind of scratching at it, but more or less in the three years, just deeply thinking about has been this idea of creationism and um, just kind of trying to apply the the rules of logic and thought to my faith, right? Trying to, you know, this apologetics perspective, right? Always have a reason for why we serve the Lord. Yes. And that's easy because it's a personal, hey, I was a horrible human being. I remember that. But as I, you know, try to have an explanation for what's in the scriptures, why it's there, knowing that explanations won't convert, but having a good explanation nevertheless is important in certain things. I just started kind of just looking at uh, the biblical account in Genesis, how the prophets and the people, uh, the prophets and priests in the scriptures had spoken regarding the writings of, as we say, of Moses, uh, which is, again, up to debate. And, you know, there are positions that I found um, that are biblically sourced, that are not orthodox to mainstream Protestantism, which we're a part of as Pentecostal churches, uh, that started for me just like a cascade of thoughts about it. And, uh, you know, I've had an evolution of position, and that's kind of what I hope to share today and just kind of some of the things that have um, characterized my uh, convictions so that was a good introduction that we're, what we're going to talk about today, basically following certain schools of thought regarding creationism and then kind of expanding on, you know, where do Christians fall in lines with logic? You know, where, where do we draw the line? Uh, are we pursuing it? Are we avoiding it? Are we, is logic contradicting faith? Can mm-hmm. it co- coexist? So we'll eventually get into that. But uh, today we're going to talk about the discussions versus the uh, young earth creationism and the old earth creationism. And before we get started right now, before you um, kind sure. of detail how you got into this and um, your views on it, I'd like to define it really quick according to our very reliable source of definition in Wikipedia. But <laughs> that was sarcasm. Uh, so young earth creationism is a form of creationism which holds a central tenet that the earth and its lifetime were created in their present forms by supernatural acts of a deity between approximately 6,000 and 10,000 years ago. In its most widespread version, uh, young earth creationism is based on the religious belief in the inerrancy of certain literal interpretations of the book of Genesis. It's Primary adherents are Christians who believe that God created the earth in six days, six calendar days. In contrast with old earth creationism, which holds literal interpretations of Genesis that are compatible with the scientific, scientifically determined ages of the earth and universe. So that's basically two definitions in one. And Jonathan, I'm going to let you take the reins. Thank you. Thank you, Marcus. Um, I think one of the I think one of the best things we can do right now is if I just kind of read through the creation passage in my ESV translation, and then we can kind of reference it and just kind of start approaching it. Absolutely. So, now Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. 
And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was an evening, and there was a morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. Well, that's not confusing. <laughs> and God uh, and God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was, e- there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And the Lord said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seeds, and the fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was an evening, and there was a morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons, and for years and days, excuse me, and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light to on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was an evening, and there was a morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living thing that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was an evening, and there was a morning, the fifth day. And the Lord said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the field according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our own likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And we'll just kind of close it there. There's, we could obviously read the rest of the chapter, but I think it's just pertinent for what I want to talk about today. Um, so to kind of just jump into this topic of creationism as I've been contemplating it, and the things that have moved me, um, one of the first things that I, I like we deal with in our culture is this orthodoxy to the young earth creationism, right? And this, you know, be it Baptist Romanian or Pentecostal uh, Romanian, which, you know, they're not that far removed from one another and a lot of central tenets uh, of faith and just some of the peripheral things in terms of manifestation of the spirit, et cetera where we take different interpretation on the scriptures. Um, some would say the, you know, Kali Aliasa, but we'll leave that be. Yeah. <laughs> and um, one of the things that I just kind of grew up with was is like the shadow of orthodoxy. You know, you got to tout the line to be a good Christian, right? You know, trebuie să fii un băiat pocăit și cuminte. And um, 
that means, uh, for those of you who don't know Romanian so well, you just got to be uh, a good boy and a, and a boy who knows his place, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Right? Would that be a fair translation, so to speak, spiritually or the spirit of that statement? Yeah, well, I think uh, the English translation is a little like literal. Uh, okay. I think there's more like uh, there's a more metaphorical meaning behind the Romanian one. Basically, what it's what the translation is trying to say is that, I mean, you got to yeah, sit in your place and follow what's given to you, what mm. you know the orthodox way of teaching it. And uh, just like a little disclaimer for those of you who like, because I know a lot of people when they go to Romania on missions, there's like the mm-hmm. Orthodox Church, and they're the ones kind of opposed, opposing these uh, Christians that are coming in. Uh, that's not what we mean about Orthodox, but Orthodox, we mean like the way that we were taught, like the original way. Um, like when you're, when you're, let's say, when, let's say you're training for some sports event. Um, if you're doing something that people have never done before, you're considered like going and like trying an or- unorthodox way of training. So that's, that's the definition of orthodox. So by the time you get to context, the end of this yeah. episode, you're not, you know, we're not joining the orthodox church guys. We're going <laughs> to burn some incense in yeah. here later. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. And orthodox, the orthodox church just means like the right church, right? It means like the correct way, right? It's weird. Cause that's the official meaning of the word as much as the Catholic church is meaning the word meaning Catholics just universal. So, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of words, guys. We know this a little bit, but it gets more confusing. And we're going to jump into that. Uh, so just kind of like in this idea of like the orthodoxy of our community, right? The right way of doing things in our community per the revelations that we've been given or the teachings we've been given. I just kind of started to um, having my background in, I was studying biology. I was on a pre-med track. Realized that wasn't for me, but I really enjoyed the the whole sciences, you know, the the these things that made me think these things that, you know, they cultivated some sort of critical thought. And it kind of led me just to kind of like, okay, not trying to impose on the scriptures anything, but with a heart that's open to looking at things as logically as I can, uh, as much as through faith, a filled heart, how how do I approach this topic? Um, And and then one of the things that you guys have here in LA, you guys have, what's his name? Uh, Chris Pruniano? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and he's uh, he's been a real inspiration for me when it comes to studying theology, having an apologetic lens to my life. I've known Chris for 10 years now, and um, it's been good. It's been a very, even from the periphery, not interacting with him consistently or directly all the time, just seeing the things he stands for, the explanation he gives. It's, it really challenged me to have an apologetic lens uh, as I approach the scriptures. Um and one of the things that we learn in apologetics is hermeneutics, right? And there's there's several, I don't know them all because I'm not that intelligent, but uh, there's there's several guidelines. And there's two that I really kind of focused on when it came to this approach to creationism. Uh, the first one was a literary type uh, or genre, right? Uh, there's a very there's a very real distinction within the scriptures and types of books, right? Um, I'm not going to read a psalm and take it literally, right? Like when the psalmist writes, you know, let the trees of the wood clap their hands, okay? You can't be literal about that, yeah. you know? And like with young earth creationism, right, I'm, we're starting from this idea of literalism, right? Like the that the Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are literal accounts, right? Uh, take them at face value. They're very, you know, there's a literal approach. And there's other parts of scriptures that are teaching, right? Like the Acts of the Apostles, right? It's, it's not a book dedicated to teaching the same way perhaps First Peter is. Uh, it's a historical book with experiences. And, yeah. And and it's, it's just really important as Christians that we know a little bit of hermeneutics, right? So that when we read 
uh, Exodus, we're not reading it the same way we're reading the prophets, right? Or uh, better yet, Revelation, right? Like you don't read Revelation literally when you're talking about a tiger with a with a lightning bolt coming out of its mouth, or like you know, pe- there's people who think that Revelation there's going to be monsters that are going to show up, right? And they're going to osfaka ravaji, they're going to ravage the earth. Instead of, you know, the more biblical understanding is that it's going to be political states, you know, political entities that are going to enact uh, deeds upon the world. Which we're starting to see. Which, oh, that could be a podcast yeah. in itself, just how <laughs> profound this time we're living in. Um, so again, like for me, looking at Genesis, I'm not going to, I didn't, knowing a little bit of hermeneutics, knowing that the Bible has different types of books, different ways we should approach it, it caused me to reevaluate how I was looking at this, right? So that's the first thing. There's a genre. There's a style that the book's written in. And I, uh, you know, we have to consider that. The second thing is the audi- the author and the audience, right? So when I, when we're having this conversation, we're, you know, encapsulated on July 3rd, 2020, right? There's going to be nuances to us. If we talked about TikTok today, there would be a particularity that our culture, hopefully those who have TikTok, should get rid of it, by the way. China spying. We should leave yeah. that alone. <laughs> But there's like a particularity we would understand. There's an audience that we're having this conversation for, and there's a there's a there's a cultural connection that we're sharing, right? Um, and and that's the same way when we look at scriptures, right? Like um, there's that Orthodox Romanian way of uh, you know poporales, you know the Bible came down word for word from the Spirit of the Lord into the prophets. In, into the writers of the scriptures, and it's like the ver- exact verbatim thing that God would say if He's on Earth. Rather, like, and and that's not necessarily how I look at the scriptures. I look at it like the, the Spirit of the Lord gave a message to the churches, and based off of the persons there, the Holy Spirit guided and crafted that, but didn't give them every single and the it comma and period. You know, like that that wasn't how the Holy Spirit was operating. Um, and so there's this uh, author, there's this audience. It's how would they understand it? How, you know, and and I'm, I'm looking at this book, Genesis, you know, written a long time ago. Most people ascribe it to Moses' scriptures, right? And that's that's something that we can see later on from the books, right? When they're quoting Moses and the law, they're quoting uh, when the prophets are, the kings are talking about Genesis account or like the beginning books of their of Judaism, right? They're they, they ascribe this book to Moses. And there's people who agree, people who don't agree. And so um, we, we, as 2,000 years removed from Jesus, thousands more years removed from Moses, we, we have to have a little cultural humility and be like, okay, where are we? Like, how are we approaching this? Are we approaching it literally? Do we just assume we kind of understand we're reading into them with our modern perspective, right? That's a problem. Concordism is a problem in the church. Uh, you know, there's there's uh, there's the... There's a text, right? When Jesus comes back, every eye will see and every tongue will declare that he's the Lord, right? And that there's a message there, right? But there's people who literally will read that, every eye will see him and be like, well, there's the TV. Because, you know, right now, there's only half the planet facing the sun, right? Literally, if Jesus were to physically come back somehow in outer space, right? Like the International Space Station, there would only be a certain percentage of the planet that could see him, right? And there's Christians who read things, right? They have this they don't follow through through the process, maybe logically, and realize that it's not necessarily like there is going to be the physical coming of Jesus, right? And every yeah. eye will see him. But it's like in a moment, will everybody see him if he physically appears in this dimension with a physical body leading an army? Like he can't be in two places. Like he might be in two places at one, but, you know, it's, it kind of gets into the weeds there at that point, right? 
we have to read the scriptures and we have to approach it uh, without trying to like read into it our experience here with our understanding of the universe now. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that look at the Isaiah when God stretched out the heavens, right? Where it talks about that. And they're reading that and they're applying Big Bang cosmology to it. You know, that's that's not useful. That's not necessarily, uh, that's not what Isaiah was probably thinking about. He's like, you know, he wasn't thinking in the back of his head, the spirit of the Lord has shown me something that will be known 3,000 years from now. You know, like that's that's not what we should be doing, reading into the scriptures. Author and audience, their time, there's a message there. There's a way they would understand it. Um and, and not to take away from the fact that as Christians, we should have a synergy. We should be looking at the things that God has ordained, even though we live under the fall. The, the laws of physics, the laws of mathematics, all these things, they are tying together. They, they, they work with the faith. They don't work against. But I don't want to talk too much about science today necessarily. I want to talk about the text from the scriptures. Yeah, I don't want to. If we start talking about science, we're going to get some flat earth stuff, man. And <laughs> yeah, and there's enough YouTube videos that convince even the most ardent scientists. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the echo chamber problems, echo chambers. Yeah, so I, I just want to look at what the scriptures has to say and some of the things um, that re- in regards to 24-hour days, like that solar day that it's so orthodox in our community. Um one of the things uh, that we need to look at this book when we're looking at author and audience, when we're looking at the genre, is the fact that this, in my opinion, these chapters here, the first three, but the first one, especially in the way that we read it here, but the first three have this element, right, of that these books are, this this text here is intended to be historical at some level, Okay. Like, I want to give myself flexibility because I'm not all-knowing, I'm not all-powerful, I'm certainly not going to achieve any of that in my lifetime. And as a Christian, that was one of the things that really kind of, uh, that the Holy Spirit tuned me into. Like, there is there is 100%, as we study the text here, as we study the first chapters of Genesis, there is a historical component that we absolutely need to acknowledge, right? Uh, you know, Adam and Eve here are not symbolic representations of the uh, the human species, right? Like the species that we are, right? We're humans as we've classified them as humans with the knowledge that God's given us to unlock. Um, because like Adam and Eve have descendants, right? Yeah. And there's those descendants play into the greater role of the works of God on earth, right? And, and there's this continuity, right? Where we're looking not just at like this idea of Adam and Eve or at the beginning. They're not symbols alone. They're historical, you know? Uh, and secondly, the most obvious character in this creation story is God. Like, God's not a metaphor in this text. He's a very real. There is this all-knowing, all-powerful entity that we understand as God or to whatever degree we understand him at, but he is not a symbol of some other thing. He's a very real fact. There's a historical precedent for us to look as we look in this text, as we look in the Genesis account. Like, that's factual. That's not a symbol. You know, it's not God, you know, it's not some other God masquerading as this God. It's, it's a fact. But at the same time, this, 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 it's so interesting the way there's probably theologians that could do a much greater job of explaining just the, uh, uh, what is it? The written format of the Genesis account is so specific. And there's so many, a lot of Jewish and Hebrew scholars say it's so well calculated. All the syllables are accounted for in a certain way. All the sentences are accounted for. So like the whole the whole way it's written is very particular. And I think that really lends just credit, uh, evidence to the wisdom of God and all of this. Um, and, and so what we're going to talk about today, again, is just we're broad strokes, okay? We are not Bob Ross painters, right? We're not yeah. trying to make happy little accidents into beautiful things. Like 
this is a third grader finger painting, okay? Like, it's not pretty, okay? But it's something. So just so people, if you guys, if anybody here hears this and is like, oh, there's a hole there and there and there, probably, okay? Because I don't understand this all yet and I'm still working through this. Um, but again, the symbolic and the metaphorical realities of this text, right? Like, Adam literally means man. Yeah. Like, there's there's symbolism there, not from us inferring it, not for us reading into it, but like his name is Adam, it means a man, right? There's that symbol there. And Eve literally means mother of all living, right? There's they're historical, but there's also a symbolic element to this, right? And this is again in the context of us looking at this from the literal interpretation of the Genesis account, right? I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to present some evidential, evidential pieces that are telling me at least, speak to my heart, like maybe maybe I don't need to be literal about everything. Maybe there's 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 room to flex. There's room for flexion in this. Um, you know, there's the symbolic of God was walking in the garden, right? That God was looking for man that he had created. Like, really? Like God has a physical form and it's in the garden? Yeah. Like, we're, yes, Jesus did show up. Yes, 100%. But we don't have the intermediary of a virgin giving birth to God at this time or his physical representation in the universe. Like there's this very real, there's some very real question marks that I have to ask myself metaphorically. And just really the last one that I, is so metaphorical, it's like God formed man from the dust and breathed life into him, right? There's elements here that scholars across the spectrum will say are metaphorical. They're not you know what I mean? It's like, why would God be limited to that? To to having to make us like a kid makes a mud pie. You yeah. know? It's like like there's there's just like a I don't know, you know what I mean? It just seems like so common sense to you. Like kind of when it came to me, I was like, Well, yeah, well, it's not literal necessarily. It could be, but it doesn't put me in that pigeonhole. It doesn't force me to believe that that's literally what happened. Like, because again, the writers wrote such as they did. And the text itself gives me the freedom to have a little flex here, a little bit of uh, stretch. Now, do these people who argue that, who take this literal stance about God forming man from dust and breathing onto it, um, do these people believe, because I I know a lot of uh, evolutionists, what they say is that, oh, due to the carbon and the other elements in our Mm -hmm. bodies, uh, a lot of these elements were found from, like, galaxy like three galaxies away proving that there was a big bang and that we all eventually formed and took form um do people who argue this to your knowledge use um science and chemistry to back up this literal translation of this of this part of the text do people to for a literal translation meaning 24 hour increments well literal translation i'm talking about for this specific part about god forming man do do people use that argument that scientific argument to argue that point that God literally took some dust or do they um, c- kind of follow, follow your path of thought um, regarding, you know, it's more metaphorical than it is literal? You know, that's, that's a good question. And I'm trying to rack my brain for something intelligent to say right now. Um, <laughs> are, because, are we all? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't think I could speak with great authority on what the consensus is in uh, the young earth camp or even in my camp when it comes to how people use um, the known. So this is, this comes back to that concordism, right? We're trying to use the science that we know now to try to prove the things in the Bible. Right. And we're kind of, it, it comes down to that exegesis, eisegesis thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of times people are trying to read in 
what we know of science today, where the molecules are in the galaxy, from the comets to the nebulas to the stars forming, that you know, our, per our understanding and per the tools we have to measure these things, they're the most accurate version of what we can, right? We kind of have an idea how stars form. We kind of understand how planets can theoretically form, right? The young Earth camp, though, is really bereft or really filled with, excuse me, rather this population of the appearance of age thing, the appearance of age thing, that God created things with the appearance of age and that he literally took dust and that he made humans out of it through a supernatural work, which I'm not doubting that humans are a supernatural work of God. I mean, the universe itself, its existence is a supernatural work of God. But I don't think that answered your question in any way, but that's all I have. <laughs> I don't even remember what question I asked. But I we know. Can, <laughs> what are we, we can, doing here, Marcus? We, we, can, we can move on. Uh, I, I think sure. I interrupted you. Go ahead. <laughs> no stress. Um, and so, like, there's more features here. Like, if we're looking at this from a literal perspective, um, there are certain... If, if, you, if a person's going to interpret this literally, there's certain things that they'll have to stretch a little bit that aren't congruent with their literal, right? Like there's certain facts that they might have to avoid, or there's certain things that I've noticed that like are a little bit fudgeable. And uh, one of the first things um, is they use the word day very literally in this text, right? So the, the word that's used in the Genesis account is called Yom in Ju mm -hmm. Judaism, Hebrew. Hebrew yeah. Thank you. <laughs> We're ignorant. Oh, Lord, help us. Uh, is Yom, right? And so they, they literally, they interpret day as per our understanding of a day, 24-hour solar cycle on the planet Earth. Uh, but that's, that's like, it's not actually representative of some of the things we see in scriptures as well as the use of words, even in Jewish literature, Right. So the word day can mean a literal 24-hour period. And then the word day can mean other things. Like we have this in English, right? Um, and something really pertinent to the times. You know, in, in Abraham Lincoln's day, slavery was abolished. All right? Now, what we're using the word day, but it's not meaning a 24-hour period. It's meaning a time, a season, uh, an episode in time, right? Just this yeah. couple, whatever, dozen years. Actually, presidents are for eight years total, so whatever during his double presidency with the emancipation, like during Abraham's day, uh, Abraham Lincoln's day, so we had the emancipation of, of slaves in the United States. So there's a very literal use of that word. And, and in Jewish writings as well, right? If we uh, turn to Zechariah um, 14, verse 7, I'm going to quickly just pull it up on my phone because it goes a little quicker. I wish I was wise. To all those of you who can memorize scripture and just run with it, I, I salute you from afar, jealously, in the Lord. Uh, Zechariah 14, and I'm going to verse 7. I got it really quick if you want. Thank you. Please Zechariah 14, 7? Yeah. All right. Uh, this is the ESV translation. Um, and there shall be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. It's like a little poem over there <laughs> yeah so this is like this whole chapter is really talking about the coming day of the lord right and this this text right here it kind of accents this reality that the coming day of the lord is not talking about an actual day at all it's talking about the judgment of the lord in his coming upon the earth and all flesh that have rejected him so there's this use in jewish writing in hebrew writing that's very specifically showing. And it's the same word. It's the same word, yom. It's, it's used in Genesis. It's used here. And so that's one of the ways that we apologetically look at scripture. How are words being used around 
because there is more than one meaning, right? Like I could say, what's up, man, in 18 different ways. And some of them would show anger. Some of them would show frustration. Some of them would show joy. Some of them might show sadness. All these ways, right? So there is more than one way to literally interpret a phrase. And that's one of the things in the Young Earth Creationist camp. I often see just this absolute literal day. No, no, there's one definition here. And there's going to be, there's a trip up in all this that they go through, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. So just kind of like, that's the point that I have here regarding this. Day doesn't mean a 24-hour period. Day is used in Hebrew writings of the scriptures in more than just 24-hour period. And I think people need to, people need to consider that, you know, as we look at this, as anybody who's searching for truth, you do need to consider that. And in light of that, there's actually like the very clear rebuttal, right? So if you go to Exodus 20, um, I'm going to flip to the that here in my scriptures because it's one book over. Exodus 20 and um, t -t -t uh, verse 8, 9, 10, and 11, right? And I have, uh, do, you want, do you want to read it for us, please? I got it right here. Thank you. Uh, 8 through 11, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Yeah. And so there's this is like a very clear rebuttal that young earth creationists have, you know, mm -hmm. about like, this is what the text is saying. Like, this is the meaning of it, right? Like we have a very clear evidence here about six days, there's labor, six days, there's work. And then the seventh is a Sabbath to any, to, for the Lord, our God. And we're going to look, uh, if you want to flip open an Exodus 30, uh, verse 12 through 17, and we're going to look at it again. But the, the, the message that's in this text, a lot of people read this and be like, well, there it is the evidence of a six day creation with their absolute interpretation of a solar day. And the fact of the matter is that this text is talking about time, yes, but it's talking more than time, more than anything. It's talking about a pattern. It's talking about labor, and then it's talking about rest. It's talking about all that was made, and then that there was a rest. And it was clearly given. You look through all of Israel's civic law and how they structured their their, their society and how God expected them to, to, to be, that this day of rest, this Sabbath rest, was so integral. Like, if they had not had this, they would have just been like, they would have been like the pagans around them. They would have grasped after some sort of like, of uh, what, what, what's the word routine or 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 uh, that would allow them to distinguish the days to a degree because that's that's human culture across all cultures across all times. Their celebrations, all the European countries created those summer solstices. The like all agricultural uh, societies created the spring, the summer, the fall, and the winter solstice celebrations. Tie them in with religious. So like, there's this grasping for routines for uh, rhythms there's routines and god wanted the people of the his people the people called by his name to have this healthy rhythm of as you labor you're also turning back to me as you're doing as you're exerting yourself mightily six days a week which all romanian fathers would love if their sons and daughters <laughs> did uh there's so many saturdays my dad growing up was just like halamunca you know it's like the lord gave us six not five to work in. and i'm like dad this is america we get a rest on that saturday um, but God just had this very intentional thing. It's it, like, yeah, we can look at, we can read this literally, right? About time. But there's more than just what the text is saying in itself. There's a purpose to the message, right? And for God, when you look at 
all the teachings regarding the Sabbath, it's it's not the fact that they held the Sabbath and they had the sacrifice. It's that the rhythm, the pattern of turning back to God in right worship is what was when the Lord is upset, when they're still keeping the Sabbath, but they're messing it up because their hearts are not pure. Right? It's not about the literal day. It's about what's happening. So there's that. Right, and if you actually want to turn, you have Exodus 30, uh, 12 through 17. If you want to kind of uh, read that out for us, that'd be great. Sure. Um, when you So starting from verse 12. When you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord. When you number them, that there should there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel, According to the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel is 20 geras. Yeah, we don't know either of those currencies. Um, half a shekel as from 20 years old, or sorry, half oh. a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less. Then the half shekel that you 31, give. 12. Oh, I am okay. a fool. I, I'm so sorry. It's Guys, okay, so our humanity leaking through. I was, I was tripping out because uh, verse 17 is literally like it's a new part of the, and it says the Lord said to Moses and that's it. And then 18 starts. So I was like, you really want me to end on 17? <laughs> it's like, leave us off on a cliffhanger there. What did the Lord say to Moses? No. <laughs> Exodus 31, 12 through 17. I, forgive me, brother. Forgive me. It's okay. We, we got to learn about shekels and geras and how, how we should give. Okay, the Sabbath. This makes more sense. <laughs> And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that, sh- that soul shall be cut from among his people." Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout the generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Yeah, that he rested and was refreshed. So again, coming from the perspective of young earth creationism, literal 24-hour days, solar days, this this whole thing, this, this, this text rounds out what we read in Exodus 20. It's giving us more about, you know, it's kind of the quintessential. It's giving us more about the heart of God rather than the exact, you know, being able to recite something, right? It's the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. It's the fact that God wanted this holy day, this holy time, this holy pattern for the people to keep it holy for the Lord, to draw near to him. And then ultimately, again, if people are going to be literal about Genesis 1, they're not going to take into account the hermeneutics. You have to take this for real. Uh, you have to take this as it is. 17, it is a sign for every between me and the people of Israel that in six, day, six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Right? And there's this Coming back to Genesis 1, we're seeing very clearly this idea of, and there was an evening, and there was a morning, and right, and then it moves forward, right? And that is a very Jewish 
that is a very Jewish statement because Jews counted time at that time in a very different way. And to this day, the Orthodox, the very uh, like very narrow Judaism, the the narrow sex, the narrow-minded sex of Judaism, still count time not by the Western clock, the Gregorian calendar, or the the one that Julius Caesar put together. Yeah, uh, Gregorian. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we don't. We don't. They don't count time by that. They keep to the law. They keep to the evening the day starts and then until the sundown of the next day, right? That's why we, as maybe as Westerners, we read Jesus's death on the cross and we're like, what is happening here? This doesn't make sense, you know? Yeah, especially uh, with like, you know, the, the three days resurrection and it's like, okay, if we celebrate, you know, Good Friday, this, and then you count, it's like, okay, it's kind of confusing, right? It doesn't all add up. It's like, yeah, technically it's like, I mean, by my count, it's about like 32 hours. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and that just has to do with like bad church calendars. Like we should be celebrating Good Friday on a Thursday because Friday was a special Sabbath and, and Saturday, as we would have in our calendar, was the actual Sabbath. It was it was a high Sabbath. It was It's weird. There's wonderful theology about it. There's some guys who explain it. I can, I'll send you a link after. At least it made sense to me. But there's this very real like idea here, right? Like there was a night and there was a, a morning. But when God enters his rest, there's no night and morning, right? God is still in his rest. God has ceased from, you know, ex nihilo, speaking out of nothingness, creation right now. Now, he has worked, he has labored in certain ways, but he he has entered into that rest that Genesis talks about, and he still dwells within it. I mean, at least for me, that's how I read this text. You know, so there's this very real thing when it says here, uh, so when people are taking things literally from the scriptures, okay, there's, this is just the inconsistency, right? There's a hole in the armor here that I find persuasive to a degree. And however it persuades you, the listener, or you, Marcus, sitting across the day from me, let it be between you and the Lord. But I think more than likely this idea about a 24-hour day period, solar period, like it's, it's, there is a metaphor quality to it. There's, it's not just a literal quality, or at the very least, I'm not boxed into it just being a literal day. You know, maybe there's some gray area, if I call it. And I know Christians hate to say gray area, mm-hmm. but I, I can't I can't accept it because God is in his rest. You know, and if I read this text here, you know, God rested on the seventh day and was refreshed. Well, what's God doing now? There's just an incoherency here that I have to, I have to go to the calmest denominator because that's more than likely, right? The simplest answer is more than likely the right one. Isn't that like Occam's razor or something like that or... Maybe. Who Maybe. knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, I hear it in passing. I don't even know if I'm using it right. Sorry, listeners, if I messed that up. Um, and, and so that's just like one thing right here that it's like, okay, they have their position about six days and six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth. But there's something else in scripture that kind of speaks to something that creates nuance to this topic of or that point. Uh, the second uh, thing that a lot of young earth creationists will use is that if you're using an ordinal number, right, like day one, day two, day three, day four, it, it because of Jewish writings, uh, secular ones as well as religious ones, that it must mean uh, it must mean a, a 24-hour period in between, right? There's they take this literal approach in there, and that's why they see day one, day two, day three in in creation, and it must mean 24 hours for them, right? That's their presupposition. They assume that when you have ordinal numbers, right. And they base that off Jewish teaching and Jewish usage of language, um, that it must mean 24 hours. Again, I find that there's something in Scripture that speaks contrary to this. Um, there it is. Uh, Hosea chapter 6, verse 2. Hosea chapter 6, verse 2. I will pull it up. And after you make your statement about this passage, we'll wrap things up for the first episode. Sure. Just because it's getting a little long and... 
we'll definitely continue on a part two cool. where we definitely dive into these things. So Hosea chapter six, verse two, you said? Yes. Okay. And it says, after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. That we may live, yeah. So two days, then third. Again, this speaks just to the usage of the word day here is not referring to a 24-hour period. It's talking about the time that they will be under affliction, under pain, and then that they there's a third day coming. There's a moment of deliverance that's not so much a 24-hour period, but it's a usage of this word day in Scripture that we have to, again, if you're going to be a literalist, and you're not going to consider genre, you're not going to consider author and audience, you're not going to consider the usage, right, the multiple usages of this text, the, there is a there is something here that says, I hate to tell people that they're wrong, or to, <laughs> to be more absolute, but there is a problem that you have. There is a problem you have in explaining away this verse, or making sense of this verse in light of the position you take when it comes to Genesis. And maybe I'm missing stuff here, but I hope the Lord will give me light, and I hope people will give us light. Well, yeah, thank you so much for um, just laying the framework to our discussion today. We will definitely continue next week for the listeners, but in about five minutes for us. Uh, so if you, know, if, if you have any continuity questions there. So, yeah, thank you for laying, laying the framework regarding the, you know, the, the literal translations that we look at, the, the interpretation of what a day means to you know, the Hebrews at the time and us today, and then especially how it's written in, you know, in in context with God, because I think that's going to be very important when we continue next time on, you know, the, the differences of arguments between the old earth and young earth creationism. Um, and we're going to, we're definitely going to look into that. And then we'll definitely address kind of in a broader scope, where can faith and logic mix? Can it coexist? Um, can you, can you be a part of both sides? Do you have to pick one? So, um, yeah, we, Thank you for laying the framework for a very interesting discussion, not only this week, but next week as well. And uh, we will definitely continue there. But before we wrap up this episode, Jonathan, if people want to find you on the internet to send you their flat earth videos or anything else (laughs) of the sort, uh, where can they find you? Uh, You guys can find me on Instagram and Facebook somehow. Uh, I I think I checked my Facebook less than Instagram, but Jonathan D. Antimie, and we'll post a link yeah, we'll post the the handle. Yeah, I'll I'll tag you in the post that I have on on our Instagram page. I'll I'll tag your link over there so people can send all their rants and complaints, you know, if they choose so, or or compliments. So whatever it is, the the net will be filled hopefully. Absolutely, uh, you can find us at our Instagram at the Potter's House. You can also reach us at our email, thepottershouse at gmail and uh, please like and subscribe to our. Um, Apple Podcasts, which is iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere else you guys can find uh, podcast episodes. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we will see you next time.